Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. My guest today is Justin Smith, director of the documentary Staten Nation. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. A group consisting of 73 farmers, seed growers, and public advocacy groups has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear their case challenging Monsanto over patents on genetically modified seeds. The plaintiffs are trying to protect themselves preemptively of being sued for patent infringement should Monsanto's GMO seeds ever blow over into their fields and contaminate their crops. Suing a big company like Monsanto is an uphill battle, but I commend these groups for taking them on and hope the Supreme Court makes the right decision. In other court rulings, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco rejected an appeal from the 40-year-old Drake Bay Oyster Company. Drake's is claiming that the former Secretary of the Interior, Ken Salazar, manipulated scientific data and overused his powers when he wouldn't renew the lease of the oyster farm. Extremely disappointed at the Federal Appeals Court's decision, and sad to see that it's looking very likely that Drake's oyster farm will no longer be able to provide fresh oysters to residents of California. Next, red honey has been found in some Utah beehives. This is believed to have occurred from the bees being fed byproducts from a candy factory. Regulators are investigating whether the substances should be considered honey. I'd say it shouldn't be considered honey. Bees don't need candy or sugar in their diets, and I use honey so I can avoid the genetically modified and heavily refined sugars that are found in candy. Speaking of processed sugar products, the Natural News Forensic Food Lab has put mammalian teeth that were bathed in phosphoric acid under the microscope. Phosphoric acid is most commonly present in soda pops and soft drinks. The photos taken from the microscope show that the phosphoric acid can destroy the integrity of the teeth. Glad to see Natural News exposing the dangers of phosphoric acid. This likely won't come as a surprise to many listeners of the show or people in the real food world, but the general public knows little about this as half of America drinks pop every day. And finally, the Food and Drug Administration is telling consumers not to worry about the levels of arsenic in their rice, but just to vary their diets. The FDA says it's safe to eat because the amounts are so small. No short-term side effects have been discovered, but the FDA is still researching if there are any long-term effects in the arsenic in the rice. Personally, I'd like to continue to avoid any arsenic with rice and wait until I hear if there are any long-term side effects. Like GMOs, I don't want to play Russian roulette by eating something when its long-term effects haven't been fully studied. And now for the main course, which today is statin drugs. Unless you're listening to my show for the first time, you know that I believe that cholesterol is good for you. Not only is it best to get lots of cholesterol in your diet, but taking cholesterol-lowering statin medications is one of the worst things you can do to your health. Statins have a number of side effects. These include weakness, memory loss, depression, muscle joint pain, and many other problems. Clinical trials have shown that statins only have a very slight reduction in heart disease, and we haven't seen any evidence of people living longer from taking these statins. Here to talk with me about the dangers of statin drugs is Justin Smith, who directed the excellent documentary Statin Nation, which exposed the cholesterol cover-up and the problem with statins. Justin... Thank you so much for coming on this program. Hi, Aaron. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to have you here. I love documentaries. I watch a lot of documentaries of different types, and I love that there have been a lot of documentaries recently about food, and specifically, there have been a number of documentaries about cholesterol showing the positive effects of it. And in addition to that, I love how you tackled the issue of statins and why they should be avoided. Yes, thank you. So what inspired you to make Staten Nation? Well, I was, I was working as a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. And um, I, through my own independent research, I gradually became aware of a number of nutritional myths. And I was obviously 
uh, in the consultations that I was doing with clients, I was trying to correct all of these nutritional myths and it was taking a huge amount of time. So each 45 minute consultation, the majority of that time was being, stent, being spent on correcting these uh, fundamental myths and re-educating people. And I thought, well, there must be a better way, a way that I can be more productive in these consultations. So I decided to write a book in the first instance uh, to cover these basic nutritional myths and then uh, to encourage the client to read the book in their own time so that then they could get more out of the consultations. We could get involved in the more complicated stuff when, when we're actually spending time together. And I already knew at that time that there was this big problem with cholesterol and or rather we'd been misinformed about the role cholesterol plays in heart disease. And um, I decided to originally devote one chapter of my book to the cholesterol issue. But then when I started researching in more detail, I just uncovered so much information and I really got quite annoyed, to be frank, just how obvious it was that cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. And in fact, cholesterol is this extremely important vital nutrient for the body. Uh, and then I started looking at the the evidence to supposedly support the use of the widespread use of statin medications. And before I realized I had enough material to cover a whole book. So there was this kind of natural progression from having one chapter to having a whole book on the subject. So I self-published that book in 2009, and then um, that helped. So it certainly helped to get the message out to people within my sort of immediate network, friends and family and colleagues and my own clients, and sort of a little bit further beyond that. But I still felt really frustrated that we're all being deeply misled by the commercial interests. So that was why I set out to make the documentary. And I was really, really pleased the way it came out because, you know, uh, I was able to sort of crowd crowdsource the funding for it. So many people will already be aware of that concept, but you ask the, the general public to make uh, small donations. And uh, so it's actually funded through the general public, um, which of course shows that there's a, there's a big interest in this subject. So you talked about how you'd start out as a trainer and when you're being educated as a trainer, were you taught the conventional wisdom that cholesterol and saturated fat are bad for you? Yes, of course. Yes. Just like everyone else, I was taught that, uh, first of all, fat is bad. I was taught that uh, actually there's no important role for fat within the body. We don't need any dietary fat, I was taught, which, of course, is completely ridiculous. Uh, as it's turning out now, as, as more and more evidence is being published, the f different fatty acids are probably the most important nutrients to go into the body and uh, the most fascinating and it's like every week we discover something something new about the important roles that they play within the human body. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so I was told that all fats are bad. And uh, well, there is an exception to that. I was told that the omega-3 and omega-6 were so-called healthy fats. And um, of course, saturated fats, I was told, were very bad. And of course, cholesterol is bad. And, and also this sort of false idea that, that LDLs are bad and HDLs are good. So I was kind of uh, in initially indoctrinated into into that false theory as well. I think most trainers are trained with that wisdom of cholesterol and saturated fats are being bad, unless they go through something such as, say, the Nutritional Therapy Association. But I do find that trainers are one of the groups in the health field that seem to be the quickest to catch on to these new ideas of alternative health, such as the idea of cholesterol and fat being good for you. Do you think that there is something about what's involved with the trainer and the clients that you see that makes trainers easier to catch that? Or does it have to do more with just other fields are heavily pocketed by these pharmaceutical industries? I think, uh, I think there definitely is something uh, that's directly related to the nature of personal training and being sort of a nutrition coach. And especially if you're doing those two things together, because you have to be completely 100% results orientated. And it, no matter what you've been sort of educated to believe, once you start working with real clients and a wide range of different clients in the real world, you're obviously doing the very best you can to get the results that those clients need. 
And once you start using the low-fat diet that I and most other people were originally taught everyone needs, you very, very quickly realize that that only works for a very small percentage of people. And so, you know, because you have a genuine desire to help people and get the results that they're looking for, you then sort of reopen the books and say, you know, okay, let's have a, an open-minded approach to this and let's look, do my own independent research and uh, find out what is really going to benefit people. And and when you do that, then then I think that's what the motivation is. That's what leads a lot of trainers and nutrition coaches to, to discover a lot of these things for themselves because they're not sitting in an ivory tower of a research institution uh, they're actually working every single day with a wide range of different people, trying to help people the best they can to get the results they're looking for. When you started doing research for Staten Nation, what were some of the books and sources and perhaps individuals that play the greatest role in the research for all of this? Uh, well, of course, there's, there's a huge number of people. And um, the general public uh, often don't know that there is a, a large number of site doctors researchers, scientists, who are now getting on board with, with this uh, truth, really, that, that cholesterol is not harmful and saturated fats are not harmful, and they're actually extremely important substances for the body. Uh, but um, some of the leading experts who I was very fortunate in being able to interview was there's a well-known cardiologist, Dr. Peter Langston in Tyler in Texas, and um He's uh, been challenging the the idea of the widespread use of statins and the diet-heart hypothesis, uh, the idea that saturated fats and cholesterol simply clog up the arteries. He's been challenging this this idea for, for a long time. And um, here in the UK, we have Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, who is the author of the, the book, The Great Cholesterol Khan. He's a very senior doctor here in the UK, and he also features in Statin Nation. Um, there's um, Dr. John Abramson, who is a teacher at Harvard Medical School. So Dr. Abramson is an expert in the, uh, the sort of public health area and the commercial interest. So he published a book called Overdosed America, which, which has been extremely popular. And he, he describes very well the background to all of this, how if, if saturated fats and cholesterol are not the cause of heart disease, then why do so many doctors think they are? And why do so many doctors prescribe statin medications? So in Statin Nation, Dr. Abramson gives a very good explanation to the background to all of this and the commercial interest and how this situation has got so ridiculously out of control. And then we have people like Dr. Paul Roche, who's the president of the American Institute of Stress. He's based in Yonkers in New York. And um, he he also has been challenging the, this idea of saturated fat and cholesterol clogging up the arteries for, uh, for decades. Um, and uh, Dr. Roche has won just about every medical award that you can possibly think of. And um, he, yes, and, and he's, um, he also features in Statin Nation. So um, we have a number of um, really great experts um, who give a really good explanation as to why we shouldn't worry about the saturated fats and cholesterol and, and how statin medications have been overprescribed. A lot of those are people, too, that have been a big influence in me forming my views and what I've been talking about on the Appropriate Omnivore podcast. Malcolm Kendrick is one of them. I recommend anyone to search Malcolm Kendrick's video on YouTube, has saturated fat compared with European countries. And he shows that there's absolutely no correlation when you look at all these different countries that it's kind of a joke as to why people try to link the two together. Yeah, it is. It is a joke. And of course, that started uh, back in 1953 with Ansel Keys, who, who's within within these sort of circles is obviously widely known now that um, his original study was completely flawed where he plotted those six countries on a graph to show a supposed straight line straight line relationship between the consumption of dietary fat and and the risk for coronary heart disease and it's now quite widely known that he cherry-picked the six countries that fitted his relationship but there were 22 countries available, data for 22 countries available at the time. And when you plot all the 22 countries, then there's absolutely no connection, no correlation whatsoever. 
Mm -hmm. And in addition to these people that you interviewed on the screen, I saw in the credits, they give thanks to a number of great people and organizations such as the Weston Price Foundation, Joseph Mercola, Jimmy Moore. What role did these people play in your research in making Staten Nation? For some of the organizations, they, like the Weston A. Price Foundation, they obviously provide a great deal of information freely available on their website and through uh, other sources as well. Um, so I've been reading information from the Western A. Price Foundation for many years, and, and they, throughout the, the last, I would say, six or seven years, way back when I was researching for my book, I've used information that they've made freely available. So, so they're a really key and important organization. Uh, some of the other organizations have, you know, they've been... Obviously, like Dr. Mercola, he covers just about every subject um, with his newsletters and uh, articles on his website. Um, but so some of the other organizations helped more with the with spreading the message while making the documentary. So just letting people know that um, it was in process, in progress. And um, and then afterwards, when it was finished, to inform people that the that the documentary exists. So, so some of them involved directly in... Um, uh, the research part of it, but other ones helping with spreading the message uh, about the existence of the documentary afterwards. The Weston A. Price Foundation has been, as most listeners know, one that's been a big influence on me, and my diet is closely aligned mostly to Weston A. Price Foundation. And that, I think, was the organization that I was able to find out about the documentary through, which, not surprisingly, because it does very much talk about Weston A. Price's vision of cholesterol not being bad for you. And also Weston Price has talked a lot about statin dangers. I learned about statin dangers too through them. Yes. And in your documentary, you talk about how England ranks low as far as countries with cholesterol intake. When you told general people that you were making this documentary, how did they react? A lot of people sort of said, well, finally, at last, someone has made uh, a documentary about this issue. So, um, you know, at, up until this point, the, most of the people who've seen the documentary have been within kind of this um, community of, um, you know, the paleo diet, uh, low carb diets. You know, there's a huge, as as you're very well aware, there's this is sort of a, a huge and uh, very much a growing community of people who are becoming aware that it, it's more, much more likely to be excessive carbohydrates and sugars in the diet that's causing a lot of our health problems. So, so this low carb or paleo type diet or the sort of nutrition program that the Western A. Price Foundation has been promoting for a long time. This community community has been growing um, considerably. So um, all, all of the people within this community were very happy and relieved. And, and the sort of response is, at last, someone has made a documentary about this important issue. And then as the documentary, as I've, I've started kind of the outreach program to connect with people who are kind of... At, outside of this community um the response has been a lot of surprise and shock and um just about everyone who i've spoken to after watching the documentary has said that they've either stopped taking their statin medication immediately or uh, if they were if they were considering taking a statin in the future they've now decided that they will never touch the statin medication and I also get emails from people just about every day saying that they've they've seen the documentary and they've they've now stopped taking their medic statin medication so so from my point of view that's that's a real that that gives me a lot of motivation and energy to continue with this project and the the outreach program was this project in any way a response to documentaries such as forks over knives no no this was um this was a natural progression from the book that I self-published in 2009. Yeah, no, it wasn't um, in connection with that. But I think that it is a good one for people to watch so that they can hear the other point of view, because there have been a number of documentaries made about the supposed benefits of eating a vegan diet. Yes, and actually, I'm just starting to make the preliminary plans to make a follow-up documentary, a second documentary, which will actually look into what are the real causes of heart disease. So Study Nation, as you mentioned, it, it shows that the cholesterol or the diet-heart hypothesis is false. And statin medications have been, the benefits of statin medications have been exaggerated and the adverse effects have been very much played down. So then the obvious next question from that is, 
Okay, if statins don't help, and if cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease, what does cause heart disease? And uh, one of the things that we'll look at in this second documentary will be the benefits that have been proven in terms of a low-carbohydrate diet. But we'll also look at the people who are very strong advocates of a plant-based diet as well and see if there's some if there's any common ground between the between the two very different approaches or, or what's actually happening there. And we'll also look at the other sort of leading theories about what might be causing heart disease. Because obviously, as I'm sure you're aware, at the moment, all of the resources are directed towards modifying so-called risk factors. Some of those risk factors are, are, are true risk factors, and some of them are just completely false, like the cholesterol numbers. But... Um, uh, what would be much more beneficial, of course, for people is if we could start to look at what are the real sort of root causes of heart disease in the first place, because those risk factors, of course, are the symptoms of, of something else, which uh, is obviously out of balance or going wrong. I have seen that there is some common ground between the price paleoprimal communities and the vegetarian vegan communities. The common ground that I have seen is the removal of processed foods, those doctors that you see in forks over knives and that are connected with the PCRM, such as T. Colin Campbell, Neil Bernard, Caldwell Esselstein, Joel Furman, Dean Ornish, they pretty much all recommend removing things from your diet, such as vegetable oils, refined flours, and refined sugars. Have you found that out too in your early studies about this? Yes, exactly. And um, of course, the other thing that I think happens when people follow those plant-based diets is that they, uh, of course, they reduce the amount of sugar. They were, maybe they were consuming way too much sugar before. And maybe they switch the types of carbohydrates as well, because obviously in, pl in places like the UK and the USA and, and many other countries now, it's, our diet is, the average person, their diet is based on carbohydrates the grain-based foods and all too often the refined versions of course you know the white rice or white bread and um and most people are lacking in vegetables so um and, and some good quality plant-based foods so um yes yeah, so most of the people who do go on to these plant-based nutrition programs i think in many ways they do improve their nutrition but uh and, and the other th important thing is, of course, differences between individual people. So for some people might, might do quite well on very small amounts of protein and fat in their diet. But that obviously doesn't suit a lot of other people. And that's really something that I saw when I was working as a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. I had clients who were following almost the opposite diets, but, but all doing well. So... I think that's something that, um, and of course, if you're one of these experts who, uh, maybe one of maybe one of the experts who promotes a plant-based nutrition program, maybe as an individual, your your metabolism, your biochemistry happens to be suited to that type of diet yourself. So when you personally experience the benefits associated with that, that of course is an incredibly incredibly powerful thing. Um, but but the danger, of course, is then you start thinking that it's going to suit everyone. And when you start looking into these things, you quickly realize that you do need to have a flexible approach and really uh, fully consider the fact that everyone is a completely unique individual. Right. I would agree with that, that certainly a lot of people, they do need the animal fats in their diet, the fat-soluble vitamins. And you talked a little earlier, I think you make a great point, though, that we also do have a need for fruits and vegetables in our diets. I think there are some people in these primal paleo price communities that eat a little too much fats and they don't get enough vegetables in. I know my nutritionist has specifically instructed to make sure that I am getting a lot of fruits and vegetables in my diet and essentially eating the rainbow, eating lots of different colors of the fruits. Do you think that's a problem, too, that some people that follow these ancestral diets eat too much of the animal fats and not enough of the plants? I think it can be. Again, it just comes down to the individual person. So I've had clients in the past who we've sort of started on 50% protein and fat and 50% plant-based foods and gradually increase the amount of animal-based foods until we get to something which looks like uh, it's perfect for them as an individual. And 
a few of those people end up having about 80% of their their nutrition from animal-based foods and a very small amount of, of vegetables or fruits. And, um, and the fruits, even maybe just um, very, very minimal fruit, otherwise it can imbalance their blood sugar levels. Um, but then, then you have other people, of course, who uh, do much better with maybe half of all their foods coming from plant-based foods. So I think, yes, um, there is a danger that um, some, for some people, maybe they, they are having too, too many animal-based foods for them as an individual person. So it's really about a specific diet for each person. Everyone is a little different. And I think that goes kind of along the lines of Joseph Mercola, where he says there are some people that do well on a very fat-heavy diet. There's some people that do well on a diet that's a lot more heavy in plants. And then there are some people that need a combination of the two. Yes, I think so. But it's interesting when you look at the research from what our hunt, hunter-gatherer ancestors would have eaten. Even though we find a huge variation in the amount of plant-based food and animal-based food, if if you took an average for all the different hunter-gatherer societies that have been studied, it would be something like <clears throat> something like 65% plant-based, sorry, 65% animal-based foods and just 35% plant-based foods. So even though there's this huge variation, if you were to take an average of everyone that's been, all the societies that have been studied, we would need more animal-based foods. And I know for me, a lot of my plants that I eat, I get more of the nutrients of them by cooking them in things such as butter. So I think that a lot of times it's a good idea to mix them, such as cooking your vegetables in butter and having some type of dairy or fat when I eat fruit for a snack. Yes. And one of the really important things is, of course, trying to manage blood glucose levels. There's um, When we have too much carbohydrate or sugars for, for us as an, as an individual, of course, that sends our blood glucose, our blood sugar levels all over the place. And these spikes in blood glucose uh, cause all kinds of problems in the body. They cause obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. And there are these huge studies published in some of the most respected medical journals in the world that, that never get talked about, where they find that even just slightly elevated blood glucose levels are associated with an increased risk for heart disease, death from cardiovascular disease, and deaths from all causes. And um, there was this huge study published in, in the Lancet Medical Journal and they concluded that elevated high blood glucose levels are associated with as many deaths from heart disease as smoking cigarettes is. So clearly blood glucose levels is something which should be monitored more closely and it's something we should be concerned about. And it, the level of interest that's been given to cholesterol should actually be given to blood glucose levels. I would agree with that. We've been talking about the truth about cholesterol and why your body needs that and saturated fats. We're going to take a word from our sponsors, but when we come back, we're going to then get into the dangers of statin drugs. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. And for the month of July, you get free shipping on orders of 15 pounds or more. Go to the website organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free at 877-401-6837 to start shopping. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Olea States Olive Oil has been produced by the Cronus family on a small estate in Sparta, Greece since 1856. The olives are all certified organic and hand-picked. The oil is cold-pressed within 30 minutes and is extra virgin with an acidity of 0.24. I use Alea for all my olive oil needs, cooking, baking, 
salad dressing, hummus, and much more. Olea is distributed in the U.S. by Carl Berger. All products can be ordered on the website oleastates.com or by contacting Carl by email k-a-r-l at oleastates.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. I'm interviewing Justin Smith, director of the excellent documentary Statin Nation. Statin Nation talks all about the cholesterol cover-up and how statins are actually making us sick as opposed to helping people with their heart rate and heart disease like we've been told that they're supposed to do. So I'm interested to know, what was the most disturbing piece of information that you learned about statins? Well, um, it's almost impossible. I think it is impossible to narrow it down to to one because um, because statins have such a profound effect on the body because um, the way statins work, they, they block an enzyme in a pathway called the mevalone pathway. And this biochemical pathway is responsible for the production of lots of different important molecules within the body. So statins act very high up in this biochemical chain of events, which means that they will have a very wide range of different effects on the body. And some of these effects can be positive for some people. And what the the clinical evidence suggests is that middle-aged men who have already had a heart attack, then they may benefit in the short term from taking a statin medication. And this is uh, because statins have been repeatedly shown to reduce the amount of inflammation and heart disease is mostly an inflammatory condition. So so that's one of the clear clear effects of these of statin medications. But on the other side, because they block so many of these molecules, one of the most important ones that we should mention that a lot of people may already know about, of course, is coenzyme Q10. So statins also block the production of coenzyme Q10, which is an essential component of energy production for all of the body's cells. And in particular, the heart muscle, uh, of course, needs to produce a lot of energy to keep functioning correctly. And the heart muscle requires a huge amount of coenzyme Q10. So paradoxically, you're taking the statin medication and people are thinking that it's going to benefit them in terms of uh, reducing their risk for future heart disease. But actually, it's blocking one of the most important molecules that's needed for the function of the heart muscle. Um, But another very worrying area is to do with cancer. So there was a report uh, a few weeks ago that um, when women take statins for 10 years or more, this doubles their risk for breast cancer. And we don't know the full extent of the risks associated with statins and cancer because the clinical trials have tended to be just four or five years in duration, some of them less than that. And of course, cancer doesn't develop over four or five years. It develops over a longer period of time, usually. Um, So there hasn't been enough data being published to really know, to understand this link between statins and cancer. And and when there is long-term data published, it almost always shows a, a clear increased risk of cancer associated with taking statins. So this is kind of like a time bomb waiting to happen with all these millions of people around the world. Um, Latest estimate estimate is more than 44 million people around the world taking a statin medication. The long-term effects in terms of cancer alone is is quite, is potentially horrendous. Uh, Another very worrying area is to do with effects on the brain. So uh, statins have a very profound effect on the functioning of the brain because the brain needs a lot of cholesterol. It needs cholesterol for for neurons, and the developing brain requires a lot of cholesterol as well. The um, statins, of course, blocking the production of cholesterol have a, a number of different effects on the brain. And one study showed that um, people who with low cholesterol had six times the risk of committing suicide. Um, and studies have shown sort of cognitive problems associated with low cholesterol levels across the board. Um, and then, then you have all kinds of other adverse effects as well, which the the officially listed adverse effects include depression, as well as sleep disturbance, memory loss, sexual dysfunction, lung disease, 
muscle-related problems, neuropathy, pancre pancreatic dysfunction, liver dysfunction. Um, and we also know that statins cause type 2 diabetes and kidney injury as well. And in fact, um, the, there's a website, greenmedinfo.com, and they've logged all of the studies associated with statin adverse effects. And they found that statins have been linked with more than 300 different adverse effects now. I'll have to check that site out when I have more chance because I just love it from the title, Green Med Info. So for the listeners, again, that's greenmedinfo.com. And this does look like an amazing wealth of information and suits very well what I'm into, which is medicine, but not relying on the pharmaceutical industry. I think one of the things that disturbed me most about statins from seeing the film was hearing about how long it takes for people to get the statins out of the system and how after even a couple of years, they still see some of the side effects of them. Is it possible to eventually get the statins out of our system and not have any of the side effects occurring? Again, it very much depends on the individual person. So you're absolutely right. The, one of the many problems with statins is that the, the adverse effects often or usually don't show up immediately. So um, often it could be six months or more after starting the statin medication. That, that people see the some of the adverse effects and and by then you know it, it's very it's more difficult to 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 draw the obvious connection between the statin medication and the adverse effects because you know things have kind of moved on by then um, so um, that's the first problem but then I know because the, there are various internet groups now with uh, groups of people who have taken statin medications and for significant adverse effects and I know from from being a member of some of these groups that there are there's thousands of people out there who taken a statin medication stopped taking it years ago but the adverse effects have continued to get worse in some cases they've stabilized but in other cases unfortunately they've continued to get worse and thousands of people have literally had their lives ruined by taking the statin medication and in many cases they took it when they didn't need to take it. So the sort of scenario would be that they were perfectly healthy, went to see the doctor for a general checkup. The doctor found that their cholesterol level was slightly above this sort of arbitrary value that's now been set in the guidelines. So they were issued a statin medication. And um, yeah, and, and end up with all these very unfortunate adverse effects. And, and now it's really impacted on their quality of life. And we now know, of course, that um, statins don't benefit people when they're taken in this way for prevention. So, as you said in the introduction, statin medications have been shown to very slightly reduce the risk for a heart attack in some cases by maybe 1%, uh, sometimes less than 1%. But that's always been counteracted by an increased risk for other serious diseases directly from the statin. So overall, people don't live any longer. So in Statin Nation, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick sums this up quite well, I think. He says that with the statin, you might change what's written on the death certificate, but you don't change the date. And in addition to that, of course, you've got all these other potential adverse effects that, um, that we've been talking about. And that was something that got me was people that have the statin medication as a way of prevention because... I had always known statins were given to people that had high cholesterol and they couldn't get their numbers down. So that's even scarier to think that people are giving it so they don't get the high cholesterol. Do you think that people being prescribed that and going outside of the original purpose, or at least what I was told to believe the purpose was, that that's because these pharmaceutical industries are heavily pushing the statins? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a fundamental problem is to do with the guidelines. So uh, it was only a few years ago that it was suggested the the ideal, the threshold for, let's say, a total cholesterol level um, was around 250. And then they reduced it to uh, 200 eventually. So, um, and of course, in the European numbers, that would be 6.5 and Eventually, they reduced it to five for the threshold. So, um, so with the guidelines, they've they've gradually reduced the what's called the sort of ideal cholesterol level. And um, every time they reduce the threshold, 
that instantly means that there's millions more people eligible to take statin medications. And when you look at the so-called evidence that the that these guidelines are supposed to be based on, it really isn't there. Uh, for example, the when it when it was changed the last time, when the threshold was lowered the last time, there was a group of nine experts, and eight of them had close connections with the pharmaceutical companies that make statins. So I think people are just not aware of just the extent that these commercial interests have sort of gained control over much of medicine. And I think the threshold has been lowered even more since then, that now it's not even 200 is too high. I'm not sure how much, but it seems almost like they want it maybe even under 150, like they want your cholesterol to be something yes. like 100. It seems they're always trying to, lo it seems they're always trying to lower it. And um, more recently, you know, they kind of make it more complicated because they they divide people up into different groups and say if you are this type of person we want your cholesterol to be below this number if you're this type of person with a higher risk we want it, it to be even lower the general idea of course is that the lower the better but that just doesn't really uh, make any sense because there's a very clear correlation between higher cholesterol levels and an increased life expectancy so people with a higher cholesterol level tend to live longer, which is completely at odds to the current uh, dogma of trying to lower people's cholesterol levels as much as possible. And in addition to cholesterol threshold being lowered even more, have there been any other issues with cholesterol or with statins since making your project that you weren't able to cover in it? Well, I would say it's more a case of the points that we did cover have been reinforced with more studies that have come to light. So in Statin Nation, we make it clear this point that when you take a statin for so-called prevention, it, they do, it doesn't extend your life expectancy at all. And, and recently there was another study that confirmed that. Um, so it was more sort of confirmation of the key points that we raise in Statin Nation. One thing that I know came out since the release of Statin Nation was the whole issue of TMAO, which a lot of leaders in the price and paleo community have quickly debunked, such as Chris Masterjohn and Chris Kresser. In your project that you're working on now, are you looking at talking about TMAO? Maybe. Maybe. It's difficult to say at the moment because um, it's such a huge, huge area, the uh, potential causes of heart disease. Um, so um, it may be something that uh, we can cover, but uh, difficult to say because it's still a very early stage. It is, and a lot of people have focused on that study by the Cleveland Clinic that talks about the dangers of TMAO, yet people haven't talked about the Mayo Clinic, which is just as respectable as an organization in the health field, and the Mayo Clinic found that TMAO doesn't have effect on heart disease. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm sure, yes. So I think that really that whole TMAO study was talked about before we really know anything about it. And in a lot of ways, I think people are just looking at TMAO as the new cholesterol. Yes. Well, of course, yeah, there's, um, they're, they're always trying to find ways to uh, overcomplicate the diet-heart hypothesis um, in all kinds of ways, in, including... The uh, well, it originally was, of course, with the so-called good and bad cholesterol, and um, then subdividing those good and bad cholesterol further into okay, good cholesterol. Some parts of good cholesterol are bad, and some are good, and a similar story for the bad cholesterol. So just making it more and more complicated. So you know, it makes it more difficult for for people to to raise objections and to show to, to scientifically evaluate the whole concept. Another thing that I drew from watching statination was that it seemed like these statin drugs really haven't been tested for that long. Is that something that you felt as well? Well, they haven't, uh, or at least um, the data hasn't been published because, again, this is one of the fundamental problems. The pharmaceutical companies now do around 80% of all the research, and that means that they own the data from the research, which means that they can choose what to publish and when to publish it, and just as importantly, what not to publish as well. And um, so, so obviously, you know, this is a, a huge issue because they can decide 
the the length of the trial and they they of course have all of the data so they can see okay if we publish this this clinical study and we include this four or five year period it shows that the statin medication is beneficial but maybe if they publish the data for six or seven years or 10 years, who knows what the data would show? Maybe the trend is, starts to reverse as, as time increases. So um, I think it's, it's highly suspicious that um, more long-term data hasn't been published because obviously they, the authorities keep saying that we should take statin medication for many decades, yet no data has been published or very little data has been published on the long-term use of statins and one of the studies the jupiter trial i think that uh, went on for around two years and and they thought that was sufficient uh, to then publish the results you know it's um it's it's quite ridiculous that they don't publish more long-term data and i think leaving out certain information is a problem with a lot of these other studies that we had talked about such as the Diet-Hart Hypothesis by Ansel Keys, where he left out certain countries. And that's also a problem with this TMAO study is that they talk about the TMAO content in beef, yet they don't bring up how actually mushrooms and bread have a larger TMAO content than meat. Yes, it's, uh, it's a problem with uh, publishing the data, I think, is a, it's a problem across the board. It's a widespread problem. Uh, the um, In terms of the statin clinical trials, there was the Cochrane collaboration. They did a review of statin clinical trials, and uh, I think they included 14 clinical trials. They found, incidentally, that uh, statins don't benefit people when they're taken for prevention. They said that um, around 1,000 people would have to take a statin for a year for one person to benefit. And, and so the numbers are so low that um, it could just down, be down to chance and there's no real benefit there. But they also stated that around half of the clinical trials that they analyzed didn't report on the statin adverse effects at all. So, again, that's that's crazy. You know, how can you not report on the adverse effects as well? I think another thing that really got me when watching Statin Nation was talking not only about the pharmaceuticals and how they're pushing all these statins, but also bringing up the food manufacturers and talking all about these heart-happy, heart-healthy products that they say lower cholesterol. At the very beginning, you show one by Nestle called Nesvita, and that really got me that Nestle is trying to get into this because Nestle, I would say, is one of the worst offenders in big ag. They have one of the worst records of any of these processed food companies, them and Kraft. So seeing Nestle promoting a product saying, it's about health. Nestle are probably the company I would trust the least when it comes to that. Exactly. And um, I'm not sure what it's like uh, in the US, but um, here I'm sure it's similar. You know, we have boxes of cereals and they have sort of a heart symbol on them. And they try to claim that cereals are actually healthy for the heart. And the basis of this, of course, is that um, they're saying that they're using the whole grains rather than refined grains. Well, okay, maybe, yes, we know that whole grains are slightly healthier than the refined grains but still grain-based foods have very detrimental effect on blood glucose levels and as we were saying earlier high blood glucose levels are a major risk factor for heart disease and death from all causes we know that high blood glucose levels cause direct damage to the inside wall of the arteries and they also inhibit a substance called nitric oxide nitric oxide is a really important substance that allows the blood vessels to widen to allow circulation through and when we have high levels of blood glucose then that process is inhibited somewhat so the idea that uh, grain-based foods are healthy for the heart is just completely ridiculous and it's outrageous that they're allowed to try and sell their products on that basis and then you have the other foods which um, have been specifically designed to lower cholesterol levels the ones that contain plant sterols and, you know, there's, there's no published data anywhere to show that these products actually benefit anyone's health. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. The studies that have been published have shown that the plant sterols not only block cholesterol, but they also block 
the absorption of antioxidants in the gut as well. And in fact, they block the antioxidants more than they block cholesterol. The European Commission published a report and told the manufacturers to tell consumers about this on the labeling of the products. But of course, they haven't. And nobody's bothered to follow up with that. You're right when you say that whole grains, they are a little bit better. But I would say the best is uh, sprouted grains. And ideally, grains, they should also be fermented. I know some people say that grain should be cut out completely if you want to be heart healthy. What is your thought on that? Are you a no grains person or do you think some grains are good? I think some grains are okay. Again, it, it really does depend on the individual person. But the way things are set up right now, it's, it's very difficult to completely eliminate grains from the diet. Um, so I think many people can sort of get away with having a certain amount of grains, but but it, the proportions need to change. So it's not uncommon for someone here in the UK to have the sort of diet where they may have a cereal, a grain-based cereal for breakfast, then maybe a sandwich for lunch, and then maybe pizza or a pasta-based uh, dish for dinner. And that that is literally a recipe for disaster. Of course, you know, their blood glucose levels are going to be spiking all over the place and also too high overall, as well as the lost opportunity in the sort of because the grain based foods tend not to have as many nutrients as the meat, poultry, fish, uh, eggs, vegetables and legumes tend to have. So it's a lost opportunity to get nutrients into the body. But but if the grains are there as maybe a maximum of one third of the overall meal, then for most people, I don't think that's going to cause any problems. Yes, I would say grains, they should be much more of a side dish than a main part of the deal. Exactly. My personal opinion about cereal is I don't recommend any of it because of the heavy extrusion process. The closest thing to a cereal that I would recommend would be a homemade granola, not the ones that you find in stores because those have a lot of refined ingredients in them. And I think for me, I don't eat a lot of grains. The time I usually do eat grains, though, it is breakfast. Instead of a cereal, what I do is a sourdough bread because sourdough is the traditional way that bread was made. And using this baker's yeast is such a recent thing that for almost all throughout history, the way we're able to get these grains was doing it through a long process of fermentation. And as well as also, I try to avoid wheat. I go with the alternative heirloom grains such as spelt. And I've also heard that breakfast is the one time to have grains, or at least some form of carbs, that's best to have the carbs early in the morning. Yes, uh, personally, I think, again, it, it just comes down to the individual person. Um, I know some people do okay with having some grains in the morning, but for other people who are more sensitive to the negative impact on blood glucose levels, then if they have grains in the morning, then it can set them off on this roller coaster ride with blood glucose levels for the rest of the day. So, I, I just personally, I just think it comes down to the individual person. Um, unfortunately, that with nutrition, there is a lot of um, personal trial and error. I think uh, it's very difficult to escape from that. <laughs> I would agree that it comes down to the individual person. And if you look at the travels of Dr. Weston Price, what he found was that. Some healthy cultures did have grains, others didn't. So you do have to look a lot at number of factors, such as if the grains were present in your culture and I think many other things. How has your diet changed after researching and filming Staten Nation? Well, mine hasn't because my diet changed a lot when a number of years ago when I was working as a personal trainer and first got more interested in the nutrition side of things and sort of left behind what I was taught on my personal training courses uh, through my own independent research of re realizing that fats are not bad, saturated fats are not bad, and um, the animal-based foods that we've been led to believe are almost evil, uh, they're actually some of the most nutritious foods available to us. So my diet changed uh, incredibly when I uncovered this information for myself a number of years ago. Um, and it hasn't really changed. I just find that um, I personally do quite well on do when I have just slightly more than half of all my food from animal-based uh, foods. 
and then I tried to fill up the other half as much as possible with a wide range of different vegetables. And um, I tend not to have too much fruit. I think I'm one of these people, if I have too much fruit, it imbalances my blood sugar levels. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that kind of fairly simple approach. The quite, quite a revelation for me was um, a number of years ago, I used to do cycle racing. I used to be a competitive cyclist. And um, I was, of course, like many long durance, uh, long long distance event competitors, told that carbohydrates are the only source of real energy, and uh, we were told to carbo load to eat as many carbohydrates as possible for the few days leading up to an important race. And uh, I I could never at the time work out why I always had so many problems with that with that approach. My legs would be in a lot of pain at the start of a race and just something wasn't right. But because everybody was doing that, I went along with it at the time. And only after doing my own independent research into it and realizing that, okay, my metabolism might be different and making a radical change to introducing a lot more animal based proteins and more fats into my diet, that made a huge difference. Suddenly, I just felt so much better. So, so that that was my, but that was a number of years ago, and I've just continued with that sort of approach now for, um, I'd say about um, eight years, eight or nine years. And I think we are seeing more acceptance of the benefit of animal products for a healthy heart and for energy, but we are also dealing with the mega million dollar industry that is the pharmaceuticals that are pushing things such as statin and saying the opposite. So. Do you think that it's still an uphill battle to convince people about the benefits of saturated fat? It is still an uphill battle, definitely, I would agree with that. But it seems like every week we make a small amount of progress. So it's very slowly things are changing um, in the positive direction. Um, so, yes, I think we will get there. We have to get there eventually because, the, you know, the truth eventually just comes through as the natural sort of process. But, um, of course, it's extremely difficult to predict how long it will take. Uh, but, yes, more and more people are getting involved and taking an active interest. And um, I think it can only go in this positive direction. That's a good point to make, that the truth is out there. This is science. So ultimately, we'll find out the truth. And I think we are starting to find that out simply from the aftermath of the whole low-fat, high-carb craze that was recommended in the late 70s, early 80s, where we find that people are still obese, obesity rates are going up, heart disease rates are going up. Exactly. I mean, the evidence, as you say, is is right in front of our eyes every day. It's, uh, yeah, it's staggering. Yes. So oh, we're about out of time. But before I go, I just want to ask you a couple more things. One, do you have any ETA of when we can see your next project? I hope to finish it within a year. Um, but but during that process, there'll be video clips released uh, to, you know, to create more awareness about the project and that sort of thing. So, um, so I'm hoping to post something, the initial kind of um, launch of the project, if you like, uh, within sort of two or three weeks. Oh, wow. That's soon. Well, that sounds great. And for people that want to watch Statin Nation, how can they view it? It's best to go to the website statinnation.net. And uh, there you can see that it's available as a, a pay-per-view online. And there's also a DVD available as well. So the DVD is available in different formats to, to cover every country around the world. So you'll automatically be sent the correct format for the country where you live. And the DVD includes the 63-minute feature documentary, Statination, but then almost two hours of additional interview footage with some of the experts who I interviewed. And statination.net, that's where we'll be able to see these clips from the upcoming project that you're working on? Uh, eventually, yes. But um, So if you go to statination.net and sign up for the newsletter, then I'll, I'll obviously be keeping people informed that way as well. Great. Well, I look forward to everything that you're working on and seeing what's to come. Justin, thank you so much for coming on this program. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. We just heard from Justin Smith, whose documentary Staten Nation you can watch and purchase through its website. Another documentary to see is Unacceptable Levels. The film discusses how there are over 80,000 chemicals in food products and consumer goods, 
and make up a big part of the decline in our health over the last century. Many experts are interviewed in it, including Weston Price founder Sally Fallon Morell. The film will run for a week at the Lamley Theater in Santa Monica starting this Friday, September 13th. For more information on the film, check out its webpage at unacceptablelevels.com. Also, this Saturday, September 14th, the Institute of Domestic Technology in Altadena is offering its course Milk Crafting 103. In this class, you'll learn all about making Gouda cheese. To register for the class, go to the website instituteofdomestictechnology.com. For a more detailed list of events going on in the Los Angeles and Pasadena areas, visit the Weston A. Price Pasadena website at westonapricepasadena.blogspot.com. That's all for this week. Next week, the Wise Tradition Speaker Series is back. The first guest is Lisa Bianco Davis, leader of the Weston A. Price Chapter in Eugene, Oregon, and a speaker at the upcoming regional conference in Portland, Oregon. For more information on my guests, as well as to listen to the past episodes, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Okay, well,